to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 291, recorded September 22nd, 2018. So, it's 2018 now. Who knows when we get this published. Um, (laughs) 2019, I know. (laughs) So, Through the Mirror just uh, finished wrapping. So, this is actually a fairly new issue for us to be recording and reviewing. So, these only came out, what, in May? May, July. Well, yeah, I thought they came out all in May. Yeah, all I think of them? they. I oh, think yeah, they all came this out in May. When they were doing that like bi-weekly thing or weekly well, uh, thing. Well, it seems like it's almost. Uh, <clears throat> oh, I didn't know whether that was the case or whether they were doing a binge kind of thing, like uh, taking cues from Netflix and things like that, and just release them all. Like, blah, here they are. <laughs> uh, yeah, I do kind of remember them releasing these pretty quick. Um, yeah. I wonder if uh, Terra Incognita, which is coming out now, is also getting that rush treatment. I don't know. Uh, I'll look that up while while we're talking. But I'm looking but, forward uh, to that one, which is, you were saying, is the third um, miniseries in this whole thread. Or the fourth, if you want to count that first one, where uh, it was mostly about pike and kirk and everything with that one random um young picard story thrown in how mm-hmm. how he got got control of the stargazer um so if you want to count that as the first one then it's then this is the third one but if you want to just go just straight next generation this is the second well one. yeah and i think the next generation i mean it's the same i'm not sure what uh incognita terror whatever has but this is the these first two ones have had a lot of the same people involved, same writers. Right. Although, well, all of them are written by the, the Tipton brothers. So they okay. wrote that first one with uh, that was mostly original series and these two. And then they also write Terra Incognita. So. Okay, well. Uh, but J.K. Woodward is not, not part of uh, the new one. And he's only part-time in this one. Yeah. yeah they have a yeah, lot more it. artists in this one. Yeah, I read an interview where the the Tiptons were saying they just wanted him to be included in some way because he was so instrumental in the first two miniseries um, that they just wanted him to still be a part of this because he right. helped control, he helped con- uh, create this universe. But uh, it doesn't look like he made it to the the Terra Incognita series, so hmm. which is fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like this this uh, the artwork in this one and and the. The next one's by Tony Shastine, so I like him too. So right. it's not like they're just uh, giving it to me or something to draw. <laughs> <laughs> if they gave it to me, it'd be like suddenly, suddenly all the people look like stick figures. figures. Exactly, that's exactly what I was expecting you to say. <laughs> right? Yeah, w- would not be good for the franchise. No. <laughs> but uh, but anyways, yeah, I'm glad that the the mere universe, at least in comic books, is making a big comeback. Yeah, and getting such a good treatment. I mean, these are pretty good. Uh, the first five were good in the first series, and this one's really good. Uh, and I'm hoping the goodness continues. I'm sure it will. I'm sure it will as well. Hmm. 
Well, shall we go ahead and jump into issue number one? Let's do that. Okay, so Through the Mirror, issue number one, published dates May 2018. Um, and interestingly enough, as I go through this, you'll see that there's kind of an A-B story thing going on here, and the the first one doesn't have like a title page per se, um, but this, the B story definitely does, and it says very clearly, Ripe for Plunder, Chapter 1. So uh, Donovan thinks that the A story is through the mirror, Chapter 1, even though they never actually say it, and he's probably right. But just thought I'd mention that to you up front. Okay, writing team, Scott and David Tipton. Story A, art, uh, Marcus Two. Story A, colors, Brittany Peer. Story B, art, is by J.K. Woodward. Returning to this issue. Letterer and World Design, edit Sarah Gatos, editorial assists Chase Marouts, production design Neil Yataki, publisher Greg Goldstein. We have three covers. Nope, four covers, right? Yeah, four. Oh, five covers. Okay, we got five covers. Okay, cover A features Prime Universe Picard on the left, looking across to Mirror Universe Picard on the right, with the three nacelle mirror universe enterprise between them on a space and planetary background backdrop kind of thing covers by jk woodward cover b features wharf with phaser drawn on the hunt for a shadowy figure in some subterranean looking installation the retailer incentive cover a is a photo cover of picard of patrick stewart as prime universe picard Retail incentive cover B features Mirror Universe Picard looking all mean with the background populated with rays of light shining down from above. Multicolors. It's very pretty. The retailer incentive cover C features Mirror Universe Picard choking Prime Universe Picard while our Riker can just look on horrified as Mirror Universe Riker is holding him back with a knife to his throat. Worf and a security detail beam down to the Starfleet mining facility on Naya 7 for a security inspection. Captain Ochoa and Lieutenant Amato meet Worf and his landing party and bring them in to start the inspection. In a room secured from outside eavesdropping, the captain reports critical supplies of dilithium, bilitrium, and kelbanite have started to go missing, seemingly from under their very noses. These materials are critical to the fleet rebuilding effort after the Borg and Dominion conflicts. Worf orders his two red shirts, Hanna and Reese, to fan out and look for anything out of the ordinary, anything suspicious. Sometime later, Hanna and Reese report nothing out of the ordinary. Worf says he's spotted nothing except... Worf mentions a crewman from the Enterprise he just passed that had a goatee, but he could have sworn the man is normally clean-shaven. Reese confirms he has been clean-shaven the entire time he knew Lieutenant Jones. Worf says he will find Jones and ask a few questions, while Hannah and Reese report to Captain Ochoa of their progress. Eventually, in an isolated part of the installation, Worf catches up with Jones, who tries to shoot Worf with a phaser. 
Worf calls for reinforcements, and during the ensuing firefight, Worf wings Jones. Jones picks up a metal object and is able to slip under a closing blast door before Worf and his team can catch up with him. They go around, and the chase continues into the Arboretum, where Reese is shot in the back with a phaser set to kill. The chase ends when Worf runs into a transporter room, where Jones is standing next to Riker and Geordi. But Geordi is bald, and he is wearing a unfamiliar visor. Riker is scarred across his left eye. They beam away and leave Worf dumbfounded as to who these doppelgangers are. Months earlier, and an alternate universe away. A bullion is being dragged into an agony booth by security, while Picard, Troy, and Data look on. Picard thinks this recently captured smuggler, with a ship full of valuable components, knows much more than he is telling. After some torture, the bullion says he is working for Emperor Spock. Picard is incensed and wants to know where Spock is located. Troy says it's no use. The smuggler does not know. Sometime later, Data is carrying out research into Emperor Spock, using all the resources of this advanced new ship, including stellar cartography, which is quite the new toy for the android, since the Stargazer never had anything like it. Data accesses a lot of data on the Emperor, but runs into files he cannot access due to clearance restrictions. Data reports his results that boils down to two conclusions. A. The historical records on Emperor Spock have been tampered with. And B. Spock is still alive. 90% certainty of it. Picard confides in Data that the Imperial supply chain is near collapse. The Cardassians have destroyed or cut off from them most of their resource installations and mining colonies. The Klingons have scared off traders the Empire traditionally deals with. If Spock knows anything about how to get smuggled shiploads of dilithium crystals and isolinear chips, plasma relays, and more, he must find the source. Data says a surprising amount of data on Emperor Spock has been tampered with, so Data cannot say where the Emperor is at this time. However, if he can tap atypical sources not available on the Enterprise, he believes he can find Spock's whereabouts. Picard gives him use of the captain's yacht and clear orders to find Spock. While he is at it, if he can find a solution to their supply problems, that would do very nicely also. To be continued. So, did you see uh, Spot in this issue? Spot? Yes. I saw Spot. Yeah, so, so, so while, while Data was doing some of his uh, research for Spock. Right. So was that a uh, was a Shelot or something like that? The big Vulcan Bearcat? Uh, I'm not quite sure, but it, it it's basically a saber tooth lynx. Right. So it's it's patterned on a lynx. Uh, of course, a, a real big cat, but it's got saber te- teeth on it, and it looks very mean, very cool. <laughs> Yeah, I liked it. I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, I love it. That even in this universe, the cats are badass. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but can you see Spot jumping on top of Data's terminal while he's trying to do work? <laughs> no. Trying to get <laughs> petted? I don't think so. Nah. Uh, of course, if anybody could have a cat like that and be able to handle him, it would be Data. 
Well, with the guns on these guys, any any of the Mirror Universe people could. <laughs> maybe, maybe. So, uh, I know that the second story is called Ripe for Plunder, but I just call it The Search for Spock. <laughs> Which is really what it is. Right. I wish they would have I wish that would have been the title. Well, that's cool. Um but in the end, it really is Picard having to solve his uh supply problems. And ba- basically we find out how he's able to f- they're able to figure out how to get between the universes. Well, they're going yeah, assuming that's what they're going to do. Well. That's what they're going to do. And I, I hate to spoil anything because Donovan is so fond of saying how I spoil everything. But um, but they're going to find out from Spock. I mean, that's that's got to be what's going to happen. Right. Well, he's the only one that knows for sure that it's happened before. Exactly. And, and is, is Spock actually getting some of these materials from... Uh, the uh, other universe? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't think so. Well, where is he getting it then? Well, okay, I guess we'll find out. Yeah, we'll find out. So, and and what is he using it for? I'm looking forward to that. So is Spock out there? Okay, so what I was thinking at this point is that, um, you know, maybe, um, is is Spock some kind of, you know, manipulator out there? I mean, is he kind of like pulling the strings of things to still? Um, might he even be baiting data along? Um because he has some use for data, or is he just a tool um, to, to 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 give Picard the knowledge of how to get between universes? Uh, I, I'm not quite sure, but uh, I really hope I hope the second is not the case. That that really is just what it boils down to. That's his it's his that's Spock's ultimate purpose in this series. Just to and I haven't read four and five yet. Just to uh, tell Picard how to get between universes. I hope it's more than just that. Right. Well, I'm, I don't understand Picard saying that Emperor Spock could, is the, could, could damage his plans or whatever. And then I'm like, why? Because it seemed like he's not on good terms with everybody because he's, kind of, he's kind of the scapegoat as to why the Empire's failing. So why? What could Spock possibly do to interfere with whatever Picard's plans were? And then, kind of on the side, he's like, "Oh, and by the way, uh, we need we need supplies or whatever." So it kind of seems like it's two different stories. So are you saying that Picard thinks that Spock's going to be able to help with the supplies, or because no, I'm I think, thinking that he just I, wants... I think he wants vengeance. He, he he wants vengeance on Spock. I think, and he says that Spock could ruin his plans, which which really? I don't understand why. How. Why does okay, he say that, say or that? why do I think he said that? That's a pretty text-dense page where he's explaining everything. Right. Uh, um, let's see. Okay, if Spock is alive, and if he has something to do with the Bullion's cargo, then we need to find out more. Oh, so he's thinking that maybe he's giving the Bullion supplies to try to do humanitarian efforts or something? And... Well, I, I don't know what, what Picard thinks. Spock is doing with the supplies, but he's got a shipload of parts, just the kind of thing he needs. So he's following the thread of back to the source. This is the same kind of stuff I need. And, and, and how can they have this? I mean, because they're in the solar system, right? Earth solar system. Um, yeah, so how is this happening? How, how are they getting that? I need to get that. 
I think that's his motivation. Uh, but then in the next paragraph, he says, uh, it's not it's not merely that. If the emperor is still alive, I can't have him showing up unexpectedly and interfering with all my plans. He's, He's too, too dangerous. dangerous. Okay. So that's well, why when I read that, I was like, what? He's like a – well, you nobody, don't. Nobody likes him because he's the reason why the empire's fallen. Well, I I agree. Well, nobody, none of the humans like him. Uh, but so you don't. Well, okay. I, I'm not going to say anything to ruin the third issue. But, um, I mean, it, it, although they have not gone into the details, obviously Spock is out of power. Um. He went too far, whatever, and he's on the run. Or he, right. I mean, he's, he's not in power anymore. So I don't know how they could – I don't know how Picard can be saying he's too dangerous. I, I, I don't, I don't well, know what I guess, Spock's – I guess you're right. At this I point, I don't know what Spock's, what Spock's situation is, except that he's obviously out of power. Out of power for the Terran Empire. Empire exactly, but, right. But for the rest of the universe, he's probably seen as – a savior or whatever, because he he got all these other races out from under the thumb of the Terrans. So I guess Agreed. you're right. But he he could unite all the other the Vulcans and the the Bolians and the Andorians and all that stuff to rise up even more against the the Federation. Or yeah. or in addition to the uh, Cardassians and Klingons. Klingons, right. Yeah, so where are the Romulans and all this and things like that? So. Yeah, did, did they explain that the Romulans were like out of the picture or something or conquered by the Klingons or something? I don't remember. I don't think they've said it. Okay, okay. But they definitely never mentioned them. Nope. Yeah, okay. Cool. So, so uh, anyway, so it, it, again, first issue, it tees things up. Um, Data is what, Percival? Going off looking for the Grail, whatever. Uh, so that's, that's kind of nicely set up. I'm kind of wondering why they always refer to the captain's yacht though. I mean, don't they have shuttlecraft and things? But yeah, but the captain's yacht looks cooler. It does look pretty cool. We will we'll see some really good artwork where Data's like, like just tooling around and he's got that sleek, uh, Corvette of a, uh, captain's yacht. It's pretty nice. Right. Pretty sweet. So, uh, you have anything else for the that story? Because uh, maybe we could just talk about them as two separate stories oh. before we talk about the A story. Oh, my, my notes are mixed up between both. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, in regards to the A story, um, okay. it starts off with a little footnote saying that this takes place on the same outpost as uh, Star Trek. Doctor Who crossover mm-hmm. assimilation squared, right. um, which you know that's on the very first page. So I'm like, oh, this is awesome. So they're going to say that you know because of the time vortex appearing there and all that stuff with Doctor Who showing up and things like that, that somehow somehow reality is weaker here, and maybe they're going to use that as an excuse for how mirror universe people are coming into this universe instead mm-hmm. of. A, Instead of the old, oh, it's a transporter accident uh, gimmick. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had really high hopes after that first page that that they were going to do something different. But then at the end of the page, when it shows them just getting beamed off, I was like, oh, it's, it's going to probably just be the transporter thing again. <laughs> the magic transporter <laughs> that can beam people to other, the other side. Other dimensions, yes, exactly. Because isn't that what they did in Discovery, too, is just modified the transporter? 
You know, aside from um, aside from you know the whole ship, the whole ship flipped over, and I don't right. think that 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 okay that was not transporter technology. That was but the spore did, drive that got them there. But how did the original Lorta or what was his name again? Lorca. Yeah, how did he get over? <sighs> they had some lame explanation, and it was the I, I think it was the evil Lorca. So who, who would trust him? That was giving the information. It was uh, something, they were in that battle, and there was a big explosion caused by something, and somehow he, trans, he transitioned. Um, I, I, I don't think it was a good explanation that I recall. Um, and towards the end of that, that book, that Discovery book, which of course is, you know, you don't, you don't know this if, uh, from just watching the TV series, but um, at least in that book, at the end of it, the, I think it was the second one that deals with Lorca and um, Captain uh, Giorgio when they were a bit younger. Um, yeah, I still haven't finished that one. Uh, it, seem, it seems slower okay, well, than the, main, the first one. It, it is. It is. But, but I think it was, it's very good. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the second one, although I like the first one too. Yeah, they're both good. But it kind of – it go. At, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to be accused of, of ruining things. But the main point is, they. You find out that good Lorca is in the mirror universe, um, and you, you when they switched universes, um, he's not in a good position. But you find out what happened to him, or right. at least the beginning of what happened to him. You don't know ultimately what happened to him, obviously, because it was just a little bit tacked on to the end of the story. Right. Since Lorca is very much very much the main character of that second book. Although Giorgio was in there as a main character too, but I really right. think it's focused on Lorca a lot. Anyway. Alright, I need to finish that. I I've fallen behind on all my uh all my all my readings. I'm no. I'm in the middle of a Star Wars book too and, and it's just like I don't know. I don't know what it is, but uh just, just not, not, not getting through them like I used to. Yeah, well, you know, life gets in the way. But anyways, but, uh, but, didn't wouldn't you think that would be a neat way to tie in? I mean, why name drop that this came from that episode? Aside well, from the Tiptons wrote that as well. The, the only thing I can figure is that they made a big deal about how that mining installation was uh, very rich, very, very productive. Right. And so maybe they were thinking, well, what, what, where would you go if you were evil Picard and Riker and wanted to get materials and things? Uh, well, we already mentioned this mining thing that was really productive. Um, how about using that again? And maybe that's why. I don't know. Yeah. I did think it was interesting that they referenced the crossover mm -hmm. um, and uh, IDW doesn't have the rights to Doctor Who anymore, so – you know, as far as Titan Comics, which now has the the Doctor Who license, that's mm -hmm. that's non-canon because uh, you know every time it switches li switches license, it has to uh, reboot reboot their expanded universe. So, kind of interesting that they make a reference to a book that technically doesn't exist, at least on the Doctor Who side. It was and published, it was <laughs> sold, and we read it. So. I don't know how much this quote canon thing makes a difference, especially when they come back all the time and say, ah, all that other stuff didn't actually happen. I'm talking about Star Wars. 
and all that other stuff didn't happen. We're going to have a new set of movies. So. Oh, they only did that once. You make your own continuity, I say. And if I read it, it's part of my continuity. So there you go. And apparently it's part of IDW's. Which is good. Yeah. Or at least in the Tipton's head. Yeah, exactly. still there. And they were obviously able to do it legally, or at least they just have taken a chance of getting sued, <laughs> which I really don't think is the case. But. Well, yeah. I mean, just because IDW can't sell it anymore doesn't mean they can't make references to it, no, I, I guess. I, I think they can. Anyway, but so, yeah, I would have really liked if they would have if they would have tried to tie it in that way that that the reality walls were weaker here, right? You know, because of those events or because of uh, you know the Doctor crossing over dimensions in this barrier in this in this area. Mm-hmm. But I don't I haven't finished the book yet, so I don't know. Maybe maybe in the fourth or fifth issue they they do reference that, but uh, I'm thinking that they're not going to ever reference it. No, probably not. It was just a reference one-off and moving on. And we actually, in this issue, we see it's, like you mentioned, transporters, technologies, how they're getting back and forth. So it's very much uh, going back to the well with how things happened in uh, the original Taws episode, it seems. Right. So aside from that, there really wasn't much of a story in the A story. It was just like Worf shows up, they walk around. He recognizes a guy, firefight, beams away. Right. However, the important thing is they're establishing, giving us an example of how they're, um, how the evil mirror universe folks are coming in and doing stuff in our universe. So that's and, good. And they're able to dress up in our, our uniforms. Exactly. And, and that's an important. Yes, and that's an important. Well, it's going to be a, an important point in the B in the B story uh, that we'll get into in later issues. Uh, that whole uniform thing is important, but um, and also the fact that Worf they are getting their first clues about what's going on. Because the bottom line is, the only way our heroes are going to be able to deal with these guys that are utterly ruthless and will kill people at the drop of a hat, you know, they don't play cricket. So the only way they're going to be able to stop these guys um, is if they know about them. You need to know your enemy. And these are the first clues in this first issue's A story, which is giving them clues to what's going on. Know thine enemy. Right. So um, I really love how, and I should have mentioned the, the title in the synopsis, uh, and I was considering stopping and going and making sure I had all the, the, the wording right. But when the B story starts, which is titled Right for Plunder, Chapter 1, um, it's right out there, boy. <laughs> so it's like a fringe-esque title overlaid on the reality of the, uh, of the comic book. So I don't know. You, have you ever seen any of Fringe, Donovan? Have I seen what? The TV series Fringe. Oh, uh, no. Okay. Well, that was the first place. Maybe this is not the first series that did it, but it's the first series that I ever saw. And they would just have an, like an opening scene or something that would show, you know, just, just you know, normal, uh, usually a, a far off kind of shot. And then they would show overlaid in the real shot kind of a 3D big text that either said the title 
of the episode, or maybe it would uh, like like tell you where where you're at, like uh, Arlington, Virginia, or you know something like that. And they would use this a couple times in the in the episode just to uh, let you know something. And it looked cool. I mean, it looks 3D. It looks like you know. But it's not like a normal subtitle. It's more like like this, where they it's like incorporate into the scene. Exactly. So yeah, yeah. So the, what they do is, as they're dragging the bolian to the uh, to the pain agony booth, uh, right on the floor, they've got superimposed and really three D looking big white, you know, out there text the the title, right for plunder, chapter one. So. Uh, yeah, that's the kind of thing they did in Fringe. Anyway, I like right. it. It's They've cool. been doing it in comic books forever, like Tales from the Crypt and yeah. Old Marvel and DC used to do it a lot. Okay, cool. But uh, but the the best I haven't seen Fringe, but the best example of the the titles uh, being incorporated into the story of, of a movie I've seen was Baywatch of all movies. Ah, the reboot. <laughs> yeah. So at the beginning, <laughs> there's this big scene where the rocks like diving in and saving somebody yeah. and then he's like carrying this person out of the water you know through you know up the surf and stuff right and as he's like carrying coming out of the water carrying this man or, or woman i can't remember what it was the the words baywatch comes out of the water behind uh-huh. him you know uh-huh. like these uh-huh. giant but they're actually emerging from the water and in right. fact, uh, it shows you can like see a, water dripping off it and everything you or see what? water dripping off you see a, a dolphin flying off because it got hit by the by the by, by the, the words, by the, words. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the movie's not great but that opening i was just like oh my god that's so funny i maybe it's a reason i should see it uh maybe when it's on netflix or something I, yeah i, I, I have not seen it it's worth a watch it's not the worst movie ever yeah, you just don't want to actually pay any extra money for it. <laughs> right. I yeah, mean, yeah. if it's part of a subscription you're paying for anyway, why not? But Yeah. Right. You don't want to you don't want to buy the Blu-ray. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah, it's not one you're going to rewatch and rewatch. But I mean, I don't know. Some people like uh, you know, Step Brothers and Talladega Nights and stuff like that for the same reason just that the movie itself may be not good, but some of the gags are worth watching oh, again. Exactly. Exactly. So. It's one of those kind of movies. Okay, cool. Okay, so um, I think... Oh, I, I just have one more comment on this one. Um, most of the artwork is quite good in both of these, but in Story A... Was, I think it was Story A. No, no, it was Story B, actually. Um, Troy is drawn... Not very attractively in some of these panels. I mean, she's fine in some other panels, but there are some where she just looks like this uh, porcelain-skinned grandmother or something. And <laughs> and they and and this is um, this is uh, uh, Woodward. Woodward, right? You know, doing it, and it's like, oh, Troy. I I mean. I bet if Marina Skirtis is reading these things, she's like wincing at some of these panels. I only see one panel uh, like that, but uh, but I see where you're going with on that one panel. Yeah. I mean, there's other panels she looks fine, but there's right. multiple ones where she doesn't look that good. <laughs> right. But I just yeah. want to comment on that. So uh, in the on the cover um, – yeah. Which you know, one? there's that the photo cover of just Picard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
don't you kind of wish that uh, they would have given that cover to uh, uh, John Byrne and say, hey, put a goatee on Patrick Stewart? <laughs> That's a good idea. So good, then yeah. you would have a photo cover, but where he looks like the evil Picard. Right, but you need to get a picture where Picard is like really not happy about something. You know, maybe he's got a little digestive problem. The burritos aren't going out quite right. Something <laughs> where he's not, you know, because he's got kind of a, you know, a happy little, well, maybe not a smile, but he's got a little something going where, you know, he looks kind of, you know, he, he, he's okay. He's, he's okay. He's not angry. You need, you need that angry looking thing. Right. Like, right. They, like, like Woodward drew in that second one. Or no, I'm sorry. Peter Mc, McKinstry drew that one. Yeah. All right, good point. Yeah, so give lose the smirk. Yeah, put, put the different put the uniform. Put the different uniform on there because you off know the guns. You know, Burn could do uh, that. First contact guns. <laughs> his first contact guns are nothing compared to the guns uh, of Evil Picard. Yeah, that's true. But it's also a comic book, so they don't. They sometimes over embellish. Indeed. Physiques. Indeed, indeed. Okay. All right, you done? Cause, I'm uh, done. I, I don't have anything else on, on issue one. I am done. All right, well, then I'll go through issue two. Uh, the uh, the art staff, at least for story A, seems to be different for each issue because they did release these every week. So they, they, they took the month of May, which had five uh, Wednesdays, Tuesdays, and they just released one a week. So, uh, so I guess to do that, they had to change up the uh, the art staff for each one. So, I'll go ahead and go through the uh, the credits. The writers were David and Scott Tipton again. Story A art was by Chris Johnson. Story A colors by Jason Lewis. Story B art is J.K. Woodward. Letters by Ann World Design, and then the everything else should be the same. Edit Sarah Gatos. Uh, assistant edits um, Chase Marats. Production design Neil Yutaki and publisher. Uh, Greg Goldstein. So there's a whole slew of covers. So the first one is by J.K. Woodward, and it shows uh, prime data and mirror data kind of looking at each other in front of a like a uh, haze of some sort. Um, the cover B, which is by Chris Johnson, shows Riker, and then behind him we see an enraged Andorian about to jump on his back. The RIA cover is a photo of uh, Troy. The RIB cover is by Peter McKinstry, and it's uh, Wharf. And that's it for the covers on issue two. So the story of A, which again I'm, I'm calling just through the mirror, um, it starts off on the Enterprise, our Enterprise, the Prime Enterprise D. Uh, Lieutenant Jones is being interrogated as to how and why he robbed the Federation outpost and murdered a fellow crewman. He says he's never left the Enterprise, and Riker actually backs him up on this. Worf, then, contemplating, asks, do you have a brother? Eventually, Jones is allowed to leave, and he does confirm that he is indeed an only child. Later, the Enterprise is contacted by an Andorian ship requesting assistance. Uh, the message is cut short, uh, so then Picard orders the ship to change course and rendezvous as soon as possible. 
when the Enterprise arrives, they find the damaged Andorian ship, and then they beam over, and they find that most of the Andorians are dead. In fact, all of them that they can find are dead, and there's blood smeared all over the walls. They notice that the ship has been ransacked and stripped of all its valuable parts. They are then attacked by a surviving crazed Andorian who tells them that they look just like their attackers. When they ask if he means just the Starfleet uniforms or just being human, the Andorian racistly says, all pink skins look alike. And then he calms down and he's able to explain what happened. Crusher takes Riker to the side and she does confirm that all the dead Andorians seem to have been killed by Federation phasers. On the bridge, Geordi detects a warp core breach. He and Data rush to engineering to eject the core so that they can have at least 10 minutes before the ship explodes. Riker uses this time to download the security footage, and Crusher is able to find a few more surviving Andorians that were hiding. Once the 10 minutes is up and everybody beams safely to the Enterprise, the ship warps away as the Andorian ship explodes. Later... Kirk and Picard watch the grainy recovered footage from the hijacking, and they are surprised to see that the pirates look just like goateed versions of themselves. To be continued. And then we start over with uh, Ripe for Plunder 2, which again takes place several months ago in a universe far, far away. This has Mirror Universe data in search for Spock. That's what this should be called. Anyways, it just shows him going through the uh, official Empire library records, only to learn that the truth has been changed constantly, and all previous records of the truth are then destroyed. He then has a montage of meeting with several various scum and villainy all across the galaxy, and each one points him somewhere else, and each step he thinks he's getting a little bit closer to Spock. The last one shows him beaming down to a planet full of wild vegetation. He's grabbed up by a plant and almost eaten, but he blasts it away with his Borg arm, and then he walks deeper into the forest. To be continued. Ha! The search continues. And the I search do... for who? For Spock! <laughs> <laughs> I rest my case. So that planet that they're on, what do you what do you think it is? Oh, Endor, of course. I was thinking it's probably supposed to be the Genesis planet. <laughs> the very Wait a minute. Genesis planet. Oh, who's to say there's not one? Not Endor. Okay. Um, Wrong universe, dude. Well, I know that it's a joke. <laughs> um, uh, uh, I the Genesis. Why the gen? Okay, post explosion. Obviously, but post detonation of the Genesis device right, is what right, you're saying, right. obviously. And I would not have expected that at all. <laughs> I would. You're wonderful that you would bring up that idea, but no, I was not expecting that. Oh, I just thought, well, where else would Spock go? But the place that he was resurrected in the Prime Universe, maybe somehow he was resurrected here in the the Mirror Universe again on the Genesis planet. True, or it just could be a random. <laughs> jungle world that uh, is not developed uh, and, and nothing left but ruins from some previous civilization which is kind of like what it looks like 
That's possible too. That's possible too. Possible, but less interesting. I would like it to be the Genesis planet. Don't, <laughs> don't take this away from me yet. Okay, okay. I still got two more issues to to see if I'm right or wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But no, I thought it would be really cool that you know. And then then they have then you start to think, well, how did how did Mirror Universe Spock die? Because everybody thinks he's dead. Mm-hmm. So then I would be. I was like, well, that'd be cool if he really did die, and somehow he really did come back to life, and it was all thanks to the Mirror Genesis planet. Similar to how he was brought back to life in the Prime Universe. Oh man, you can make stuff up. Of course, I can I, make. Stuff I, up. I was going to say something a little different that I begins know. with S two, but I did. I did. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe. But but can I say my favorite part of this? Yeah, sure. Ah, uh, it's when Data did a superhero landing. Oh. The- the knee, the landing on the knees. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So it was. So some some tentacled um, jungle creature grabs Data at not long after he's landed, and pulls him up in the air, and then he uses the Borg hand, like Donovan said, to blast it, and then it drops him, and then he drops with a superhero landing. Yeah, I thought that was well, that great. Was good. That's my favorite part. Can I tell you my favorite part? Sure. When. Uh... He's on his little quest from person to person, and mm-hmm. he talks to some those guys that speak in binary from oh. that Next Generation episode. Yeah. That's not my favorite part. My next favorite part is the next two panels where yes. he's talking to the, uh, the yes. guy with crazy eyebrows from Star Trek Three. Three, yes. And again, and he's McCoy going through all to. his mumbo-jumbo, and then exactly. Data just grabs him. He's like, you talk too much. Just tell me the answer. That <laughs> <laughs> <thought> was great. <laughs> exactly. He just grabs him up in the air. Right, but he's not, he's not paying him. He's not paying him anything. Just like, just give it to me now. Not progressing quickly enough for me. Is that the same cantina that McCoy was at? It. I really don't think it's the same one, but it could have been. Who knows? Because I thought that one was on Earth, and I don't get a feeling that he's on Earth on this one. Mm, no, I mean everybody. I mean, not that they don't have aliens on Earth too. But looking at the background and stuff, it looks like the vast majority of people in this bar uh, are aliens that uh, also enjoy uh, strippers with tails and alcohol of some kind. But that was in Star Trek Three too. Remember, Star Trek Three had the, the Catwoman that was the stripper. Oh, was that on Earth? I thought it was on Earth, but maybe it wasn't. Well, no, no, that that does make sense that it was on Earth. It's just that okay. Okay, so but, maybe maybe the theme of this particular club is um, we're the alien bar, right? The Mostly canteen. alien. Yeah, the alien. The, can- the this is our copy of the cantina. The cantina scene, scene. <laughs> on Tatooine. Okay, there you go. <laughs> but I don't think that on 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 Mirror Universe Earth uh, these aliens would would get the luxury of having a bar and stuff because it kind of seems like they're oppressed in in this universe. Agreed. But this also seems like. Scum and villainy, uh, sure. you know, kind of like a borderline, a fringe kind of um, place full of like criminals and smugglers and, well, basically, Moss uh, right. Eisley's. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll never find worse scum and villainy right there <laughs> in all the galaxy. Yes. It doesn't make sense that this could be the exact same bar and these are the no. exact same people because those people would be like a hundred years old by now. <laughs> yes, that too. This is definitely not the same guy. So this is probably that cat lady's like third or fourth generation of litters. 
But this is like her great 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 granddaughter, right? Who you know, unfortunately, is still a stripper at the same bar her great grandmother was at. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's a it's a grand tradition, family tradition. Yeah, got to pay the bills somehow. Exactly. So, and but they, I they don't get a lot of opportunities in this empire. There you go. Now, this the smuggler who's talking to Data though. I thought he was pretty good. I mean, I think the actor that did him was good, and I think the uh, the alien design. The look of the face and head and everything was pretty good. So, uh, crazy eyebrow guy. I, crazy eyebrow guy. I'm very happy to see him. Yeah, so, no, I'm was, glad you like brought I that. Said, up. I really like that scene. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's 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 a good it's a good thing to lift uh, and give a nod to. Which then made me look even harder at the next couple of scenes, like where <laughs> he meets the the giant. It's not quite a Gorn, but uh, you know, I kept wanting all his other meetings to mean something else uh, from other Star Trek stuff, but I couldn't place any other ones. Like the giant Gorn and then the monk-looking people? I'm assuming those are not Vulcans. Or do you think they are? Uh, I don't know. I don't think Vulcans would help Data, but who knows. Right. But then they speak that weird language that they don't translate for us, but Data seems to understand it. Right. And what's Data saying to that big, huge guy anyway? He's just whispering to him, and you don't know what. And then he obviously got some info. Well, at the very least, he pointed him on. Right. So maybe the, the guy didn't say anything and just pointed him on to the next person with information. Which were these monks that look like they're in like a harem or something with all the, <laughs> the lace. In the background? Yeah. Yeah, the background? Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, it was uh, for just being a five-page little – Little story. There's a lot of stuff going on. Not a lot of dialogue, but mm-hmm. at least it moves moves his search along. It does. His search for what? Spock. <laughs> Darn tootin. Darn tootin. Yeah. I did like the little part about how they uh, erase the history and replace it, you know, because that's something that uh, – Oh, in the archives, in the library? Yeah. That's something yeah, that, that's so... you know, fascist governments have been prone to do in the past. Exactly. Uh, and most wars are – history is written by the victors. But this is going retroactively in and changing all kinds of things. Right, which has happened in the past. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. So I thought it was kind of interesting going back to the story A. Sure. I thought it was interesting how uh, Evil Riker and Picard just happened to show up uh, almost right away on the Andorian security footage. That Picard and Riker see, so right. it seems unlikely, but at least it moves it around, uh, moves things along quickly. So, like what I was saying with uh, with the breadcrumbs that Worf began with, seeing uh, that crewman and then the alternate Riker and Geordi versions. Um, now our heroes have some real <laughs> some real evidence for them to ponder what the heck's going on. Yeah, and that's my number one complaint about this issue is that Worf saw Jordy and Riker in the but last But he never issue, mentioned it. But it's never mentioned here. He only yeah. talks about the alternate Jones. Right. And and never once says, hey, you were there too, Riker. What do you – You're uh, of all the people backing him up, uh, you don't have any weight in this, in, this, uh, in this story because you were there too. I agree. I and agree. Then I would have loved that scene and I would have loved him saying, oh, maybe this is Thomas – Maybe somehow Thomas Riker is caught into all of this, and then they could have like explored that as being the next. You know, that's the logical explanation as to 
uh, why there's another Riker, not not the Mirror Universe. So they could have done a lot of stuff in this second issue that yeah, but that they just kind of skip over. I, I agree, but but the reason they skipped it over is probably because they wanted to get to this scene at the end of the A story, where Riker and Picard are the ones that really see <laughs> a pretty big clue to what's going on. Sure. Uh, and so I, I you know. I agree with you that all those other things would have been interesting and something should have been said by Worf, but they just, for a story standpoint, they just wanted to wait till the end, end of that A right. story. And, yeah, and it could, have just been a, it could have just been another dialogue box on the, in that interrogation scene. Mm-hmm. They didn't need to have to try to go contact Thomas Riker or all that stuff. You know, They could have left all that out. But if somebody tells me that, I saw a Riker somewhere, and it wasn't Riker. Then mm-hmm. I would immediately say, "Oh, it's Thomas." Yes, as opposed to, "Do you have a brother?" An alternate universe. Yeah. The, the, the "Do you have a brother?" joke was pretty funny, though. <laughs> well, Worf, I, I I thought that was funny because Worf was really just reaching at that point. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I know what I saw, but uh, then weekly, you got a brother? No, no. Right. I but, I, I did like that. It, I liked it, but it also should have been Riker and Jordy were there too. I agree. He should have said that. Unless it was so fantastical, he didn't want to say anything until he he knew more. But he, he yeah. Oh well. What are you gonna do? But then once they got to the Andorian ship, I had a problem with uh, Beverly saying that the wounds were all Federation issue phasers. Yeah. How does she know? Well, I mean, you could tell by doing an examination, but I've never seen phasers leave blood splatters all over the wall and stuff. So, Oh, I agree. Yeah, so, so like, what setting is that? Yeah. It's, it's not heat rocks. It's, it's not certainly rocks. not. It's not disintegrate. Exactly. It's, uh, it's splatter. <laughs> I agree. I don't know what setting that is. It looks a little bit uh, – it looks it, – actually, it looks like some of those things they were doing in um, – in the Calvin universe ones where uh, comics where the phasers would go right through somebody, which is really more what's going to happen with a laser. Right. But we, they never showed that kind of stuff uh, in, in any of the other uh, Star Trek things that I ever saw. So, uh, I really enjoyed the, uh, they didn't do this enough in TNG, and I know why. They just didn't want to make it into uh, – they didn't want to cheapen it. But I kind of like when Data goes into $6 million man mode and is, like, using all of his ca- physical capabilities uh, like he's doing at the end of this issue. And he'll do more in the next issue. But I kind of like that. Just but, throwing the Andorian around? Well, throwing the Andorian around, but also at the end of the issue with the evil Data. Oh, in the alternate universe one, yeah. the story B. Yeah, right. Uh, with the with with the, the monster, plant. the plant monster. Yeah. So uh, I mean, he's a robot. You know, he's got super strength. You know, he can kick uh, Worf's ass, um, and Worf knows it. Oh, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said ASS. Um, so I, I kind of like that, but they they almost never let him do that much in the TV series. Right. Yeah, because they, you know. I think it cheapens it a little bit. Well, yeah, it makes him into a Superman. Right. Where you're you're wanting to relate to him as uh as a tin or the the scarecrow. 
trying to be more human or whatever. Right, right. Or was it, I guess it's in the woodsman too, but whatever. I want a heart. <laughs> Why not both of them? Why not both of them? I want a brain, yeah, he, I want a heart. He, he, he's, he's pretty brave, so he can't be the lion. But uh... So, uh, what would you think of the warp core breach? Uh, I mean, it's like a page filler. Like, why do two pages of we got to get the the warp core out before it explodes and fill up two pages and then it's over? Yeah. Well, I don't know, but the explosion itself is only like a third of a page. Right. Explosion looks cool. That page looks pretty cool where it shows the warp core getting shot out on the top and then the bottom shows the whole thing exploding while the Enterprise is flying away. Right. Fantastic artwork. Yeah. Um, it was the page before, and uh, oh, where it shows them like the frantically, like typing away on the thing. I mean, it's like basically two and a half pages of. Are they going to be able to eject the warp core in time? Right. And you're like, uh, yes, we know you are. <laughs> this is time spent on the whole Thomas Riker thing. You're <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And data doesn't look like data in some of these, uh, you know, the red background panels. Right. The red alert tinged panels, but well, I think that's the radiation that's like bathing him and cooking all the Geordie's insides. Ah, okay, but somehow he survives. Okay, yeah, okay. I I thought that part was very odd when when Geordie's like goes on this little rant about how as a chief engineer we spend all our time trying to make sure this doesn't happen, and then and then Data's like doing something, and then he's like, "All right, all I need you to do is press this button." You know, and it's just like, so then I kept thinking, well, maybe this is not the real data, that, that somehow the fake data is impersonating our data and needs Jordy to do something that, that only Jordy can do. And that's why he's like, press this button here. I don't care what you're saying, but just press this button here. Yeah. Go ahead, Jordy, press this button. Yeah. And then when he does it, then, uh, then, then it explodes. So I, w- I kept waiting for the warp core to get ejected and then somehow picked up by the, uh, by the other ship or something like that. But nope, it just explodes. But did you not think that was odd? Do- Jordy just, or Data's little. I just need you to press this button after I typed on the machine for a while. Yeah, but I can kind of see to some degree. I mean, the whole point is you need. This is such an important thing. You need two people of the right authority uh, to be able to eject it. But the thing is, how did they? I mean, this is an Andorian ship, right? Exactly. How it's do they? A Federation ship. Exactly. So how does Data really know how to do all this? Right, because he has to change the language, right? They make a they make a comment about that. Hey, can you change the language? And my Andorian is rusty. Right. And then Data's like typing away on the thing, and then he's like, "All right, press the button." Yeah. yeah. No, I had I had a lot of questions about those two pages. Yeah. Because I kept thinking they were going to go somewhere else, and then they ended up not going there. And then I was like, "Well, then what's the point? Why yeah. do that?" Yeah. Right. And if anybody would have the uh, particular details of how. An Andorian ship's warp core would be set up, as opposed to uh, an enterprise or a Federation ship. Uh, I guess it would be in what Data's memory banks. Uh, sure. So I it guess in ways anything. of having Data do that more than Geordi kind of makes sense, even though it's Geordi who's the engineer. Right. Um, anyway. Well, yeah, yeah, and all Data. I mean, Data's doing something for a while while Geordi's just kind of like they're getting bathed in the radiation, complaining. Just jabbering. And then he presses one button. So that's why I kept thinking Data did something that Geordi's not aware of. But then I didn't understand why 
why that would have mattered on on an Andorian ship. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on there. Maybe they are setting something up, but uh, they don't resolve it in this issue. Right. Uh, okay, so um, I thought it was interesting. It's a different topic. Um, so I thought it was interesting how Andorians can fix their own antennae when they're bent. Yep, just snap just, it back in place. Yeah, so <laughs> I was thinking they must be just made out of old coat hangers. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, he just uh, the, the guy that Riker came into contact with when he finally settles down, he just kind of puts his antennae back into position. I thought it, I thought it was a purposeful joke. Oh, I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, so, you know, that's that's kind of cool. But if you take it seriously, it's like, really? They can just bend their stuff back into position? Oh, well. Well, if Murtaugh can push his arm back in the socket, then why can't this uh, in, this alien fix his antenna? Murtaugh? Wait, it, is this, is this From, uh, um, lethal weapon? Lethal weapon? Yeah. Okay. Danny Glover? Oh, no. Was he the other guy? What was... Uh, uh, Mel Gibson's character's name. Oh, I Reese. Reese, maybe Riggs. 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 That's it. Okay. Okay. So Riggs. Riggs is the one that could dislocate. Pops his it. Pop, yeah. There you go. Arm. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> Man, I'm surprised I pulled that out of nowhere. Yeah, I me too. The weapon in like twenty. 20 uh, I had to uh, do a little fetch from the archives to be able to say <laughs> anything about those references you were making. Ah, uh, that's funny. Yeah. Um, okay, so yeah. So I, I have any, I I don't have anything any other notes for this one. I will say that Wesley looked like a like a ten year old kid. Well, he also a lot younger than normal. Also, his hair's too too light. Shouldn't it be darker? Well, Rikers is too. Everybody has kind of a, a uh, like a, a medium skin. browned. Uh, or medium right. to light brown color, uh, and I and Riker's got darker hair. You're right about that too. But look at Wesley. I mean, it's not it's not blonde. Yeah, but not quite. it's a lot lighter than it should be. Maybe that's because of the red. Uh, the using getting the red light from the the explosion just changes the tint of your hair. I don't know. Yeah, but yeah, uh, okay. no, it doesn't make sense. Sure. I'm just making stuff up. I nope. know you are. <laughs> But yeah, I thought he looked weird. But he's on earlier when they show Riker, uh, when they show Riker, Data, and Wesley all on the same page. This is on page, uh, uh, I don't know. It's it's on the 24 minutes later scene uh, where they're talking on the bridge, and both Data Riker have pretty light hair compared to what they normally have. Mm-hmm. Wesley is almost blonde, and uh, it bothers me. Yeah. It bothers me greatly. Well, and there's it, just some random dude that's kind of like behind Data. That's just this like I don't know. I, I don't. Know. Maybe he's a friend of the art artist, or maybe he's the artist himself. Like, <laughs> slipping like, themselves in. Why, why is this guy even on the bridge? He doesn't even have pips on his collar or anything. He's just some random low ranking dude. Yeah, just there. Okay, is All right, that it? That's it, that's it. I, okay, I think we're ready to go on to issue number three to see what happens, especially with Riker and Picard's revelations. I mean, they must talk all about this. They, may be, they must be making strategies 
uh, for what they're seeing in the next issue, wouldn't you think? I bet they're not. (laughs) Okay, so let's do number three. Um, Issue number three, published date again, May 2018. So, yeah. Um, Scott and David Tipton, uh, writers. Uh, Josh Hood is doing story A art in this one. Um, Colors in story A, David Garcia Cruz. And then story B art, again, is J.K. Woodward. Letterer and World Designs. And everybody else is the same. I'm going to stop talking about that. Okay, so this one has five covers. Did you only have three covers in yours? Anyway, so we've got five covers. Um, Cover A features uh, the Prime and Mirror Universe versions of Picard and Troy uh, with a very old and bearded Emperor Spock in between them in a vertical shaft of white light. Uh, Is he in the agony booth? I don't know. But he looks like he's fine. He's just hanging out there with his uh, hands folded. Cover B features Mirror Universe Troy skulking around a corner as she observes Prime Universe Riker and Deanna looking out a transparent aluminum window into space. Cover by Josh Hood. The retailer incentive cover A is a photo cover of Worf with a space background. Retailer instead of cover B features Prime Universe Troy looking lovely and concerned with rays of light shining down from above by Peter McKinstry. So it's kind of like that other one that had Picard. That's it for covers. Lieutenant Barclay of the Terran Empire is walking through our dimension's Enterprise D, confident with a visible swagger. Oddly enough, he is passing crewmen in, in Season 1 TNG Starfleet jumper suits, and they all don't seem to think his Terran Empire uniform, complete with waist sash, is odd at all. He says hello to the ladies and bumps into Geordi, who says what a fantastic job Reg has been doing lately. This is clearly not the Barkley we all know and love. Barclay enters communications control and knocks out the crewman on duty. He moves to a wall-mounted control board and starts shoveling, shuffling isolinear cards in and out of slots. Whatever he is doing, it is difficult, but he is determined and keeps at it. A voice from thin air tells him to hurry up. Finally, he completes his reconfiguration task. With an evil look of accomplishment, he says, mission accomplished, as he moves out of the room and into the hall where he bumps into Captain Picard and Commander Riker, Prime Universe, of course. As Picard is thanking Barclay, profusely thanking him for all the wonderful things he does, Barclay pulls a knife and stabs Picard in the stomach. Picard is on the ground silent with his eyes open and unmoving. Riker is horrified and just standing there, up against the wall. Reg laughs manically with the bloody knife in his hands. A voice from thin air says, No, no, no! End program. They are on the holodeck of the Mirror Universe Enterprise, practicing for an important mission. Troy says if Reg kills their Picard, it will ruin the plan. Ixnay. 
Reg says he's just having a little fun, and they both leave to tell Picard that Reg is ready for his mission to the good dimension, our dimension. In the conference room, Picard addresses his senior staff. He speaks of how Data's transporter modifications have allowed them to travel to the alternate dimension and steal huge amounts of ship parts, computer equipment, and natural resources that they desperately need. The Empire's supply lines are collapsing, so keeping their ship and and indeed what is left of their fleet running would be impossible without this new source of booty. They are generating great profits and putting other ships' captains in their debt. Picard says the time has come to take the next logical step and pursue much bigger fish, the first of many to come. Troy and Barclay are ready to execute their plan to bait the alternate universe enterprise to a place of their choosing. The information Geordi has provided to prepare Barclay is a little dated, but should do the job. Speed will be essential to complete the mission before inconsistencies are noticed. Picard instructs Barclay and Troy to execute their plan and asks Riker to stay to, stay to plan out their next steps. Troy and Barclay materialize onto our Enterprise transporter pad and split up to execute their task. Along the way, Barclay roughs up a crewman that disrespected him when referring to the old uniform Reg is wearing. Evil Troy bumps into Riker and in their short conversation gets some old hormones a-flowing again. Reg enters the real communications control knocks out the crewman on duty, and implants the fake communication from Starfleet that comes up immediately at the bridge comm station. It's Admiral Paris who orders Picard to the Matorales array to deal with an apparent comm system failure. The message ends and Picard orders Ensign Crusher to alter course to the array. Picard is suspicious of the message, though, and asks Crusher to also confirm the order. Oh, and call Data and Riker to the bridge. Oh, and Earl Grey Hot, please, with some crumpets on the side. Hold the ones with the dollop of strawberry jam. I'm not very much in the mood for fruit at the moment. Strangely, I normally like fruit on the top. To be continued. Right for Plunder, Chapter 3. Data is making his way through the jungle planet of Dagobah. He enters a stone doorway, almost covered with plant life, that leads into a stony hallway. He continues into the old dark ruins and is attacked by upwards of twelve Tellarites. He dispatches them all with relative ease and surmises they are, or were, protecting someone important. Data kicks his way into a small room, given light by a single oil lamp. He moves to a robed figure seated on the ground and says, Emperor Spock, I presume? The hood comes off and a bushy, gray-bearded Spock turns to face the android from hell. To be continued. Again. All right, so for the record, uh, he does not tell Wesley all that stuff. (laughs) I think you embellished a little bit. I embellished a little, but it was ridiculous. I mean, is nobody else on the bridge? I mean, he's telling... Wesley to do all these things. Anyway. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it is Wesley's job, right? Well, I mean, th- was Data there? No, because he he uh, I think he said call Data and Riker to the bridge. Right. Yeah. And I mean, also <laughs> confirm the thing. So. Okay. So so. Uh, okay. So. Hey, alter the course of the array. Hey, confirm that order. Hey, call Data and Riker to the bridge. Okay, so that's the end of what he what he asked. So three things. Right. It's like, uh, uh, okay. Yes, sir. Of course. He's Wesley. So he does I, anything. I added the rest of it. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Yeah. Your joke was good. The the. I'm not saying the scene was the best, but uh, I did like I did like your funnies. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, they just came. They just like what is he? Is is Wesley the only one there? Anyway, so okay, so why do you think Picard was suspicious? What's your theory? Um, hmm, I hadn't really thought about it. Well, I have. I've been thinking. All right, go for it. Okay, well. Everybody else has the wrong uniform in the holodeck in, in, thing. In this issue. In this issue. So, yeah. So the holodeck uh, simulation, wrong uniform. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I want to get back to that, too. I completely agree with you. Um, right. And then they present Admiral Paris, which I thought was cool was Admiral Paris. And he's got to be wearing a uniform, too. Uh, of course, what they showed on the view screen kind of looked like it was right. I mean, it didn't look like the jumpsuit thing. It's got a collar and stuff. And right. I know that there was at least one season one episode towards, I think it was towards the end, where they had kind of a, you know, the introduction of a big boogeyman villain, which were those little things that would take over people. Yeah, the 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 worm things. The worm thingies, right. Um and they, they had they shot the head off. That that has to be one of the cheesy more gruesome episodes. Gruesome and cheesy. It shows someone's I, head explode. Yeah, yeah. It, it reminded me of some uh of some movies. Um anyway, but the main point is they showed an admiral in that episode and he did not have a collar. He he had the jumpsuit like everybody else. Right. Um so even though he looked normal. You know, like 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 an appro- kind of like an appropriate uh, next gen season two and or season three and on uh, uniform. Maybe it wasn't. And if they couldn't get Reg's uniform right, how could they get the Admiral's uniform right? So I figure that must be what tips him off. Hmm. Why well, is he wearing that old sense. uniform? Right. Anyway. Yeah, that would make sense, but I don't see enough of his uniform. I mean. Maybe does he have the right amount of pips on? Because it looks like he only has four, and he should have five on each each side. Oh, hmm. Okay, maybe that's it. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't really think about it. Okay. Well, some something has Picard suspicious, and you know he's got to be suspicious because of what he and Riker saw in the right. previous issue uh, of just in general. And then when he finds out reports about uh, broccoli attacking somebody um you know in, in a weird uniform in an old uniform you know all this is gonna you're not they're not showing you all this uh because they want you to think you know they're still they don't have any cards uh to be defending against 
But in the end, I think in the next issue, which I haven't read yet, I think they'll, you know, basically say, oh, yeah, well, they knew something was going on and, and they're ready for him or something. Right. But then why would, I mean, so you think in between these two pages, Picard's been informed of Broccoli and, and Troy? No, I, I think before the next issues. Because oh, okay. this one ends with, um, this just ends with Picard saying, hey, get Data and Riker to the bridge. I want right. to talk to them. So now they have the big powwow, I think. The next thing is going to happen, although we don't see in this issue, where, um, oh, you know, looking at the picture of Admiral Paris, he's got pips on both sides of his collar. Right. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, is that normal? Yeah, I think that's normal. Okay. But I always thought it was five, but I don't know for sure. Well. You don't see him a lot. Right. Yeah, but from what I can see in that, that panel, that looks like a right, uh, a, it looks like a proper collar. Right. Uh, next gen season three forward collar. Anyway, uh, but if they got that right, how come they didn't get Broccoli's right? I don't know. Or Troy's, yeah. I don't understand why they did the whole Troy and and Barclay being in the wrong suits. Well, it makes it more, it makes their mission more interesting because people can spot inconsistencies and wonder what's going on. And then if they had Paris with the wrong uniform, then that would be icing on the cake. That would be the whole basis of uh, Picard uh, having. Um, having suspicions right. but if they got something that wrong in the transmission i mean i see barkley doing what he needs to do but i mean the transmission with the orders with admiral paris if you had the uniform wrong that's really stupid you guys are stupid well and they weren't stupid in the first issue when when everybody was in normal uniforms yeah 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 yeah, yeah. i think you're right what Oh, I know I'm right. I went back and looked. So yeah. in the first issue, Jones, Riker, and LaForge all were wearing normal next generation attire. Yet here, for some reason, they go back. I agree. Two. I agree. And wouldn't they? Oh, no, 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 no. Hold on, hold on. But this is uh, story A is in the future, right? Story A is in the future, yeah. And story B is in the well, no, this is all no, story it was, A. It was this story, all a, story yeah. a. Yeah. Worf seeing yeah. the doubles was all story A, which yeah. they've never mentioned the Riker and Geordi part. But they were all wearing normal uniforms. But the thing is, in the security. Okay, right. Okay. So when they. You're completely right. Exactly. So they went into an installation, uh, a Federation mining installation. So they, they did put the right uniforms on. But when they were doing the um, Andorian, the thing, Andorian ship, which right. uh, they were, uh, they were, they, they didn't bother changing. They were in their uh, imperial outfits, right? And then in here, they're wearing first season uniforms, so they're very inconsistent. Yeah, in they're very they wear when they beam over. I agree. I agree. And the idea that they didn't have the right uh, uniforms, I think that makes perfect sense. Uh, I guess, depending upon where Jordy is getting his information. Where is he getting his information? Right, or data. Well, they make it like it's it's Jordy. Well, yeah. I mean, Jordy is briefing them on it. Right. Okay, so well, maybe we'll see that when he gets the Spock info, that's what puts them on the track of maybe the wrong uniforms. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. 
Right. But then uh-huh. how could they have the right uniforms in yeah, in issue uh, one? Right. But what's weird is that in this issue, they introduce yet another variant of the Mirror Universe uh, uniform. So in, the, in all that first scene, Barclay's wearing a uniform that he's never worn before this issue. With the sat, with the long sleeves and the the sash across the waist and all that stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, because so, the, the uniform, but it's a different. It's a different artist, also. Right. But, um, right. In the first issue, when you first start, or no, the previous series, <laughs> when J.K. Woodward was doing everything, right, there was more of a baggy kind of, you know, full cover the arms uniform. Right. Yeah, more like overalls type. Uniform. Yeah, bulky and kind of bad looking. Where this is a trim, nice looking uniform, you know, with the sash thingy. But it's not something he's worn in the past. No. Nope. But it's a different artist. Who knows? Sure, sure. There, and should, then, be, there should be more consistency, but yes. whatever. And Jordy in this one is wearing that same uniform, but Riker and Picard still wearing the, the bare arms one. So I don't know. Yeah. We'll just chalk it up to artistic license, but well, exactly. why? Why the? Uh, but obviously, story-wise, they were purposely supposed to be wearing the wrong uniforms when they beam over, right? And also, Which, and also with this new artist, um, Picard's mustache is a bit different. Yeah, it's it's weird. It, it's <laughs> uh, he he kind of looks like the Robin Hood thing. Like a west, like he came from a western with a handlebar mustache, and then he just happens to have oh. a little bit of a goatee beard. Well, I, I, for some reason, I was thinking when he was do, when he was playing Robin Hood in that episode, that Taws up or TNG episode. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but yeah, yeah, it could have been yeah, the western that too. Anyway, whatever. Yeah, a different different take on on the beard and goatee. Right. So yeah, that's a good point. Uh, uh, why did Riker, every every issue ends, and then they don't pick up logically what what they should be talking about in the next issue. So, Riker and Picard have never said they have nothing about we just saw doppelgangers of ourselves. Worf never told them that they saw a doppelganger of Geordi and Riker. So it's just right. like it's very frustrating. I'm like, come on, just tell us. You leave well, on a cliffhanger, and then you don't pick up after the cliffhanger. You pick well, up. Something else? Yeah. The, the Worf omission is blatant, so that's wrong. But since you're going across issues, I think just to make it more interesting, like I think I said a few minutes ago, um, they just decided not to pick up that particular point because you know Riker and Picard had a conversation about that. Sure, you sure. know they did. They're just not showing you it. Yeah. Um, because they want – like I said a little bit, of, a little bit ago – they want you to think Picard knows what is figuring out what's going on. He knows this this trip to the uh, array or something is probably some kind of trap. Um, but he's going to let it spring because other, otherwise how can he find out what's, what the details of what's going on? Right. So well, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the next two because, I mean, they can't come across, at least I assume, with the Enterprise D, the, the, the three nacelle one from the Empire. I assume they can't come across. They can only send people across. Until but, they get that spore drive. Well, <laughs> well I, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. Because if they actually do go there and bring across the whole ship 
and it's a ship battle between uh, you know our two cell nacelle and their three nacelle with their armaments or whatever. Um, that's going to be an uh, an unfair fight, but it would be interesting, right? But if they don't do that, then all they can do is beam over people, which it's like, hmm. I mean, if Picard and company, good Picard and company, do know that this is a trap and there is something going on, then they're going to be in a good position to uh, meet the evil universe threat, I would think. Right. I, I do like how on all the covers of the uh, the J.K. Woodward main covers, mm-hmm. if you if you line up all five on top of each other. Oh, they makes, all connect? It makes a, uh, a picture. And then on the top of it is the three nacelle Enterprise shooting down. That's issue one with, uh, I think it's uh, the two Picards kind of looking both, you know, facing each other. Right. And then the very last one, issue five, uh, I can't remember who the character is looking oh, at each other, but it's the Enterprise D I did not notice shooting that. up. So, uh, and then Spock's in the middle. So it's like, um, so when you put them all together, it makes one long picture of the Enterprise Ds from the two different universes shooting each other with Spock being in the middle of the, the explosion or whatever. Hmm. So it's pretty cool. So I, I don't know if that's teeing up that they're actually going to fight each other or just it look, makes a cool visual, like a movie poster. Right. So we'll see. We'll cool. See. Yeah, I, I haven't seen the covers for uh, four, three, four and five. Yeah, the only reason I saw them, and I thought it was weird, is that at the end of issue one, they show all five covers. And I'm like, well, that's weird. They show the covers for five months out. But, but now that I remembered that it was a weekly thing, then that makes more sense. They already knew what the covers were going to be huh. five issues out. So speaking of artwork inside of here and back to the uh, the first season uniforms. Yeah, can which, I just mention something? Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Um, I'm looking at the published date of issue five, and that's May also. Right, yeah. The, uh, I thought I said that. All well, of them but... have a published date of May, and they're exactly seven days apart. So if you look at the uh, – Comicsology. Oh. They came out one week apart. May had five weeks in it. Well, it had five Wednesdays or whatever. Huh. So it's like okay. the first, and then the seventh, or the eighth. Okay, and then that's just the way May May ended. Right. So it had five Wednesdays. Hmm. Uh, okay. I think I think comic books come out on Wednesday. Yes. Maybe it's Tuesdays. So yeah, it was Tuesdays. I'm yeah. I'm looking one, two, three, four, five. Yep, it had five Tuesdays. Right. And five Wednesdays and five Thursdays. <laughs> right. Cool. Okay, there you go. So. Oh, continue. So anyways, Sorry. back to, this, back to the, the, the first season uniform. I, I do kind of like seeing it. it. It's not the worst uniform they, uh, they've ever worn. But uh, in that one scene where, jo- where Barclay's in the elevator and he's like, yeah, I just wanted to go retro or whatever. Um, the artist, I think, made a mistake and like one sleeve is a long sleeve and the other sleeve is short sleeve. So like one sleeve ends right around the elbow, just a little bit below the elbow. So a good chunk of his forearm is exposed. And then the other one, the other sleeve goes all the way to his wrist. Right. And on the, on the, yeah. So did you see it? I didn't notice that. Well, if you look, it's on page uh shoot they don't number them 15 they of don't. the uh 15 of the comicsology uh pr- 
prints. Okay. If, if you do want to look it up. But it's just odd. It, it's him justifying why he's wearing an old uniform, and then artistically it's depicted as mistailored, too, where, where one sleeve is a lot longer than the other. But in all the other shots, it's they're all normal long sleeve shirts. Right. Just a little weird. Or maybe it's just giant, you know, uh, biceps just pulling up on the, on the <laughs> sleeve. It's just, it's not. Yeah, but he doesn't have giant biceps. <laughs> Everybody in the mirror universe has giant biceps. But no, but that's not how he's drawn. I know. I'm I mean, he he should. To be funny. Yeah. Yeah, he's really skinny in this one. He's skinny in this one. He looks like normal Bar- uh, Barkley. I mean, from from an arm, from a physical standpoint, but not from the facial. I mean, from the facial, uh, you can see he's definitely evil uh, Barkley. Anyway. I do like they actually call him Broccoli. Oh yes, yes, yeah. There it is. Yeah, the the, the guy that ends up getting mashed, right? Or is that the other guy? Typical Broccoli. He's lucky. He- he can find his way out of his quarters without hurting himself. Oh, boy. <laughs> you don't want to be doing that with evil broccoli. Oh, no. Anyway. Cool. So All right, we haven't really talked about story B. Did you want to – or did well, you have more I, of it? I, I, think it? I think it was very cool how, um, how Data cleaned up with the floor with all those uh, Tellarites. Pretty yeah. easily. I mean, well, that's basically the whole issue was him fighting those guys Terminator style. <laughs> exactly. I, I was thinking of that exactly. So he's not a T-1000, though. So uh, he's better than the T – what was it? Was it T-700? What, what was – I thought that was T-100, the original. Uh, the the T-100 was the, the, the one that ha- one. was on the, the, th- the treads, the one that was like a tank type thing. Oh, that okay. Was in Star- so, it, was, it was in Terminator 3 okay, in the so, present time. So the original Terminator, the original Arnie was what, the T-500, was T-600? 800. He was a T-800. Okay, so yeah. so Data looks like he's a T-900, somewhere between. A 900. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say 900 because he's just cleaning, cleaning up those. Uh, and by the way, I wasn't sure what those were at first, but they were, they were Tellarites. Right. Yeah, they're the pig people. Yeah, they're the pig people, but, but the next-gen pig people. Not, not the Star not the, Wars pig people. Not the Taws Star Wars? The, well, Ugnaughts look a little pig-like. Oh, okay. But in the original Taws... Uh, Journey to Babel. Journey to Babel, exactly. Um, really bad-looking pig people. <laughs> the makeup wasn't great. So definitely Next Gen did a better job of making it look a little more like plausible. Um, right. And so I had to do some uh, some searching to make sure I could match up exactly what it was. But yeah. It took me a little time before I, I verified that it was a Tellarite. Ah, but you knew right away, Donnie. Well, no, I, I knew when he was fighting him. Not in that first shot when it was all like Terminator vision. Right, <laughs> Terminator vision, exactly. So he had the, um, the Borg implant thingy. Right. Although I would think that normal data would be able to have a, uh, an infrared sensor. I mean, would, that wouldn't take much to do Right. in his normal kit. As a matter of fact, you'd think that it's possible that he would have Geordi-esque kind of vision almost. I mean, or why not? Better. Yeah, exactly. Or better, yes. Well, because he could see normal, uh, you know, normal visible light. But whatever. 
So the the shoe that jo- that Data has is that a is that a Doc Martin? Because that, that oh uh, the tread the sole looks very the tread familiar. on the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was uh, surprised about that. That 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 is a very twenty-first uh, century tread. Right. So I guess you know if it doesn't if it's not broke, don't fix it. Exactly. So we're gonna still be wearing those in the future. Yeah, they almost look like Fertilees, some of those little tread marks. But but no, they're they're more of a, a cross kind of thing. Equal right. equal and symmetrical cross. So so that Tellerite is looking up at him. Uh you know, with his his left eye is looking up, but data's just gonna crush it, huh? Yep, step right on his head. Hmm. Okay, so why are Tellerites protecting uh Spock? I think you're right. I think all the other species that have been oppressed, mm-hmm. they all they're all with Spock. Exactly. So these are basically the members of the Federation. Cardassians uh, were, yeah, yeah, the our Federation. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, obviously we know what the Cardassians are doing. We know what the Klingons are doing. Uh, we're not quite sure about the Romulans, although I seem to remember something about the Romulans being conquered by by the Klingons. I'm not quite sure. Maybe that's a different storyline. But then, what about all the other alien races of the Federation that were oppressed, right? I think uh, Spock's pulling them together. Yeah. I, I, once you said that when we were doing issue one, it, it made more sense. Yeah. But uh, I did, I'll admit I did not put two and two together on that one. Right. And speaking of Spock, ah, uh, God, I'm going to... Um, he looks like... Um, oh, my God. His I, name's Leonard Nimoy? No, 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 no. Um, he Santa looks Nimoy? no. He looks like the architect of the nine eleven attacks. Attacks. Um, really? What? What? He look at him. He looks. I think they're trying to make him look like Osama bin Laden. There you go. It finally came back into my brain. Because look at him. He looks just disheveled. Big old huge uh, beard. He looks like Osama bin Laden towards the end. Huh. Okay. I think that's what they were going for. So, but he's... Oh, okay. I'm trying to put parallels as to... I mean, he's not necessarily a, a terrorist in this one. Well, no, no. But I'm just saying what they made him look like. I don't know why exactly. Uh, but I think he looks like Osama bin Laden towards the end. Mm. Well, I didn't see that, but uh, okay. Yeah. He just looked like a long-haired, disheveled Leonard Nimoy. Oh, way long-haired. I mean, that beard is biblical. Kind of reminded me of uh, his brother. What was his name? Cybok? Cybok. Well, Cybok had a closer trimmed beard than that. Sure, sure. But I mean, I'm just saying, this guy. I mean, it looks this like is you the could... mirror universe where you can get a little more bushy. <laughs> it looks like you can just like like stretch out for a nap on that beard. It's so big. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said it's Santa Nimoy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I went with Santa Nimoy, and you went with Osama Bin Laden. So. Well, I'm, I'm just calling it as I see it. That's the first thing I thought of, not Santa. Amazing what art can, can mean different things to different people. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> no, I, and I loved the, uh, the just kind of reminiscent of that first uh, two, the two-parter with Spock in it in The Next Generation where you get to the end of the first episode, and that's the only shot of, of – Spock, you see, what does he say? Indeed, or fascinating, or something? Just a one line. Mm-hmm. That's what this reminded me of. 
you go through three issues of him fighting his way and following all these leads, and mm-hmm. then just one panel reveal. Boom, to be continued. Exactly. Yep. Emperor Spock, I presume. Um, isn't that... Uh, what was the name of um, that late 1800s uh, real uh, situation? Uh, some English explorer finds somebody or something. Dr. Watson, I presume. It's not Dr. Watson. I forgot what the <laughs> phrase is. Um, anyway, whatever. Uh, yeah, and I'm I'm kind of sorry Spock didn't say anything. But I yeah. guess that's why you have to get the next issue, don't you? You got to buy it. I'm really tempted to just open it up right now, but I'm not going to. Well, I'm going to as soon as we get off this call. <laughs> Okay. Uh, What else? Um, I think it's uh, very handy that when Reg and Troy beamed over to the Enterprise D, our Enterprise D, that no one was manning the transporter room. Very handy. (laughs) That's a good point. Because they walk right off the transporter pad. It's not like they, you know, like disabled somebody and then, I don't think, I mean, unless they got their phaser out maybe and shot them. And then, but they picked it up where they're walking off the pad. Anyway, don't they normally have people manning the transporter room? Yeah. Which, by the way, I well, exactly. Uh, kind of boring though when no one has to go anywhere. I mean, imagine that you got to stand around. Da, 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 yeah. da, 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 da. <laughs> all day. Every yeah, day. all day, every day, and then like the third day, somebody wants to go somewhere. Yeah. Anyway. All the times you're at warp and there's no beaming anyway. It's no. Like you still no. have to be there. Exactly. Oh. They'd be <laughs> Uh, but why would they have to beam to the transporter pad anyways? They could just beam anywhere on the ship. Well, I agree. I agree. But And, and I think they might have done that as a nod to the Taws thing. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. Um, so, okay, so here's another question. What was Evil Troy's task on the Enterprise anyway? We don't know yet. Well, but she says she has to do something. Yeah, she, okay, uh, run into uh, uh, Riker. Well, that was an accident. And get her loins all in a tizzy uh, with an unscarred uh, Riker? I mean, that's what happened. Well, but then then they departed, and she did whatever she needed to do. Okay, right? but I, I don't think we'll ever find out what she needed to do. Oh, I hope so. I don't think we'll find out. Uh, I think that was just, I'll be an very excuse, upset. just an excuse to get all hot and bothered with, uh, uh, with Troy and Riker. Right. Well, I, and I think that you might be right. Maybe after they departed, because Riker knows that there's a such thing as duplicates that he might have contacted, um, might have contacted uh, Picard off screen and gave him a heads up. Yeah. So. Well, I, I, I do. I think that's a good point. I had, I had not thought about that. By this point, Riker had seen his doppelganger. Right. Yet he acts totally clueless, acts totally clueless, uh, with this um, odd retro uh, Troy who seems to be, you know, kind of hinting at a mood for uh, making Woofy, which is definitely not our uh, Troy at this point. Right, right. Yep, nope, I think, I think that's how they're going to do it. Yeah. T- too many things are, are piling up for them not to know something's going on. Right. Yeah, my number one is complaint is why why was why did Riker not or why did they use the wrong uniforms? They know yeah. better. They know better. They know better. Exactly. But that's part of the clue, maybe. 
or part of the clues that that give our heroes a heads up. It just, yeah. Anyway, I'm not crazy about it. For those of us actually reading this with more detail, it just doesn't add up. Right. Yeah. So, in the uh, open channels pages, mm-hmm. uh, they do mention that at the same time uh, the uh, Discovery Mirror Universe miniseries mm-hmm. was going on. Yep. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to reading that. Um, and then also at the end of this issue, I guess it was with all the May issues of Star Trek, they had the um, they had the, the posters or the covers. So if you go to the last page of the open channels, it shows all five uh, covers, and you can see how they would link together to make the, the picture yeah. that I was talking about. But earlier. they just didn't line them up. Right. Because I yeah. saw all those, and I still didn't uh, put it together. But definitely when you mentioned that, I went to look to issue one and issue two, and definitely I saw the beams from the Enterprise lining up. So I was like, oh, Donnie is so right. Darn right I'm right. Darn right I'm right. I don't usually read a lot of the uh, open channels uh, because usually it's just advertising uh, books that we haven't read yet, and I don't really want to know too many spoilers i don't even i kind of like reading these old ones when i don't even know what the next issue is going to be about you know right so uh, i try not to read too many of these because they talk about you know plot points and things like that but uh yeah but this is an interview right with uh with somebody who who is it an interview with um it is an interview with concept is this with peter mckinstry Wait, yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Conceptual artist. Okay. Right. Okay. Yep. Okay. And he's talking about growing up with uh, Taws and uh, oh, so he must be English. He's English on the BBC. He watched right. it on the BBC. Yeah. Cool. Although I, I got a comment. Uh, some of those shots that they got two panels from the uh, Discovery one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one in the on the left. With like San Francisco and with torches going, and then they show uh, Michael Burnham. That looks pretty cool. Okay, that's okay. And then the but the other picture though looks like I don't know. It looks almost like a, a Funkio kind of <laughs> look, and I'm not liking it. Oh, that's not bad. Uh, okay, it's different. It's different. Uh, it's different, but it looks like like a kids' TV show or something. Well, uh, uh, not as much since I'm an adult, um, but it just okay. So the, the the one that I like is from Angel Hernandez. Okay, a long time. He's good. I mean, we, we've we've seen a lot of art from him over the years uh, for Star Trek. And so that other one is by George Costalatus. Costalatus. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of his work too over the years. I just don't remember it being so. Cartoony? Cartoony, yeah. Hmm. Okay, whatever. Okay, so that's something to look for in the future. But is there anything else on this one? Um, uh, I, don't, I don't have anything else. Okay. Um, yeah, so I definitely think Evil Picard um, is moving beyond stealing ship parts, and he's going to try to steal entire ships. So I think he's trying to go for um, Enterprise D, our Enterprise D. Now, how is he going to get it across? I don't know. But maybe he's going to bring 
the evil Enterprise D over. So, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to try to watch the uh, the Mirror Universe episodes of Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. and see how much of this this story can still fit into that narrative because, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I don't get, I don't understand why. I mean, obviously, Worf's being exposed to the Mirror Universe here. Mm-hmm. I don't remember him being all knowledgeable about the mirror universe in the deep space nine episodes. So, right. I'm, I'm curious to see how that's, how this fits in with that, because usually the Tiptons are so good about, uh, making sure everything fits. Right. And I might be wrong. Maybe, right. Maybe Worf's only in the, uh, the mirror universe part. I know that he was like an emperor or something of the Klingon, a Klingon armada or something. Admiral or something. Mm-hmm. But he was on the Klingon side on Mirror Universe, um, so he was kind of the bad one of the bad guys. So I don't know if maybe our Wharf ever went over, but you think that Miles would have told him about it? Hey, there was this time I met my doppelganger named Smiley, and yeah, exactly. We went on exactly. Yeah, I mean, definitely you would want to report all that to Starfleet too, right? And and ultimately, Kirk's journals should be uh, captain's logs should be talking about it too of course that's far in the past but whatever there should be a lot of information about this kind of thing and maybe we'll find out that they did this is part of their preparations uh explaining research figuring out what the heck's going on maybe they will refer to some of those things right why do you think that IDW is going all in on the mirror universe or Star Trek in general? I mean, 2018 with with Discovery and these these miniseries is uh, <laughs> all of them are really heavy on the mirror universe. Even a boldly go. I mean, it ended with a huge mirror universe crossover. You know, infinite infinite or uh, what is it, IDIC or whatever. Um, hey, Dick. Yeah. So. Even it ended with a big mirror universe crossover, I agree. and then these mini series, well, and then the Discovery, and I, well, yeah, and why did Discovery itself lean in so heavily to the mirror universe, big time? Right, which um, is fine. I mean, but if you would have just, if you're a fan of Star Trek visually, and you watched it, you'd be like, okay, that was good. I, I really liked it. But because we're reading the comic books and reading the novels well, and and watching the shows. It just seems like 2018, they were like, everything has to be Mirror Universe or it ain't getting published. Well, okay, and I think there's two things. Number one, I think there's a lot of interesting possibilities story-wise with the Mirror Universe. That's why it keeps popping up. Sure. But the reason it's so concentrated right now is, I think, because things go in cycles. Um, You know, all of a sudden, we start getting a bunch of movies popping up about invisible men okay great uh there was a there was a time period where that that was happening um and or comics or comic book movies are really big now i think in some cases things just go in trends uh either because people are lazy or because they see oh there's a lot of stuff going on here i'm gonna get on the bandwagon um so i think those i think there's a bandwagon going on right now with mirror universe stuff and, and but but look at it. I mean, we're loving this, aren't we? I am. Yeah. So and I love the bits of discovery uh, that that went hard into the mirror universe uh, that le- leaned hard into that, that those possibilities. Um, 
That, and that, the that's why Bill I stuff, I I loved I love the concept of the uh, the mirror universe is there too. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying I don't like it. I'm just saying it's just a, it's, it's just, just a odd trend. that all happening at the same time. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, it's it's such things go in cycles, and I agree. I agree with that. But I think things go in cycles, and right now, mirror universe is getting its time in the sun. Right. Mm-hmm. And I am and I am very sorry that boldly go is not happening anymore. And I'm really wondering about the whole JJ verse. Right. So, I mean, this is old news by the time you guys hear this, whoever might be listening to this podcast. But um, supposedly Chris Pine isn't going to be, or it's broken off communications anyway, or negotiations, supposedly. So is, that could be just a, you know, a negotiations ploy, who knows. But... Um, if they really are going to do some Quentin Tarantino movie next or something, uh, which there's no reason they can't do Quentin Tarantino and a J.J. Verse movie. Mm-hmm. Um, no reason they can't do that. Uh, but, but not if they're losing Pine. I mean, that's really awkward if they're losing right. Pine. I mean, that's, that's really tough to recast that. Well, don't uh, recast it. Let's just... Go on and do the next generation of uh, the JJvers. Oh, just go right to next gen. Right, and then you can have uh, you know Leonard McCoy in it in the old man makeup, just like he was in the pilot. Uh, uh, <laughs> but then they're going to have a uh, Picard TV show. Uh, CBS. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot they're going to do that. So, and, and of course, that's going to be a very different Picard. Uh, I assume. I mean, they, they're making it sound like. I mean, he is 20, 20, 25 years older, whatever. Right. Um, but still, that would be kind of weird. But Yeah, good point. Can't have two Picards. Well, you could. Two different companies, CBS and then Paramount. But who knows? Right. Okay. Well, let, let's well. see how uh, DC Comics does with having two Joker universes or well, two Batmans and, and all that stuff and see if, if, if that sticks then maybe maybe uh, Paramount will go ahead and do the two Picard or two Riker thing. I mean two uh, Kirk thing. Uh, I, or, with I, a Quentin universe and, the, and a JJ universe. <laughs> I think as long as you do it well, these kind of things are fine. I mean Marvel has found success in doing one thing that comic books typically do, which is a whole bunch of issues independently of our, of our comic book heroes, and then many of them come together in an, in a, in an annual or something like that, or right. you know whatever. So they, they've had great success with doing that. DC is going the other way, it looks like now, where it says, hey, viva la difference. There's all kinds of different books by different uh, creative people that, ha- that come out either at the same time or not too much different from each other, that have nothing to do with each other. Right. Um, And that's another perfectly valid way to go. Um, And I look forward to seeing what DC comes up with, uh, like this Joker thing you mentioned, and and other kinds of things uh, coming out. Um, And, yeah, why why can't Star Trek do that too? Right. And it's not like they haven't. I mean, Next Generation and original series, they were still making Mm -hmm. the movies at the same time. And they really had nothing to tie in with each other except yep. for the name. Yep. Yeah, you're right. Two different time periods. 
And then we always had the novels, which followed one continuity, if that, and then the comic books that from different publishers at different times that always had their own continuity. And, and us, the fans, we were smart enough to figure it out. Yeah. Of course, Generations did, like, overlap. But yeah. but other than that, completely that agreed. Was, that was the annual you were talking about. We're going to try to, try to shoehorn them together. There you go. There you it, go. Won't, it won't work, but we'll do it anyways. Yeah. All right. Well, anything else for this issue? Nothing. Just looking forward to the next one. Yeah. Speaking of the next one, Donovan, what are we? What will we be doing in uh, episode? Uh, uh, two, was it two ninety two? Two ninety two. We're getting almost to three hundred. That's crazy. That's yeah, crazy, man. All right. Wow. So Eight for, away. Uh, two ninety two. We will finish off this miniseries and find out how it all wraps up. Mm-hmm. And then we'll be doing uh, a gold key. There you go. Number twenty seven. Gold Key 27. Exactly. So we got – it's uh, – I don't want to say this, but it's kind of like, you know, taking some honey with your medicine. <laughs> um, I doubt that uh, it will fit into the Mirror Universe. It, uh, I, I doubt it too. But the, the thought process, but it would be did, really cool coincidence if we pull up issue 27 and it's like – Meanwhile, in the Mirror Universe... Did Gold Key ever do a Mirror Universe? Not that I, I wonder. know of. I think, I think uh, DC was the first one to bring back the Mirror Universe yeah. after the original right. episode. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, that was it for this issue, or this okay. episode. Excellent. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us. Sometimes we do go off rambling, and, I, and if anybody actually is sticking through to the end, we, we really appreciate it. So thanks for joining us on The Review. Later. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website www.stcomicbookreview.com Subscribe to us via iTunes or friend us on Facebook at first name ST Comic, second name Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.